0: Hey, this is Jared Hummel. I'm the president of Parka Marketing. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannussas.
1: is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting, Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The Pips, the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Jared Hummel, and he's an experienced business leader with a history of building startup organizations into streamlined, revenue-generating companies. As the president of Parker, how he leads with a strong financial background and is motivated by enhancing growth and finding solutions to complex operating and execution based challenges. Jared, a massive welcome to you. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate you having me on. Cool. And the name of your organization, is it Parker? Did I say it right as a New Zealander? How would you say <laughs> it in the US? Yeah, everyone has their, well,
0: more so their way of spelling it, but yeah, Parker. I guess I'm going to lead to the next question, but we're in sunny Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so it's named after parka, like the jacket, except for it has a Q in it. So that's how we got the correlation. We have a sister company that's also called, it's called Versique. And so we put the Q from Versique into the Q of parka. And so you have a winter jacket and the Q's aligned together. So that's not branding is not my thing, but it's kind of cool how it how it all works.
1: Uh, yeah, it sounds really funky. I think it's quite cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you've yeah you so you're in the base in the US, which is really, uh, which is cool, and love talking with leaders around the world. I've given our listeners a little bit of a background or introduction to you. Tell us, is there anything else that you would want to share with us about your background?
0: Yeah, I guess I say um, I focus on leadership, and I'm industry agnostic, so. I spent the first few years of my career in manufacturing, then the next couple of years in turnaround consulting. And then our, I actually started with our parent company, which is a staffing company. And then from there have grown our digital marketing agencies. So I think the unique part about me is just finding the leadership trends that weave throughout totally different kinds of businesses. And, uh, you know... It, even though I'm a a younger guy, (laughs) I've got to see a lot of things and you start to put patterns together of what things stand true through, you know, industry, geographic location, whatever it
1: is. Awesome. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about those patterns you may be seeing through, throughout businesses and so forth going forward. And, and I noticed that you're doing a little bit of research on you that you're always excited to talk about how your passion for sports informs the approach to say team building and things like that. Tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, they say like, you know, what you learn in school, you probably forget 90% of as you enter the real work world. But growing up, I actually had the chance to play on some really high performing teams. So you probably don't have much of it down where you are, Dennis, but ice hockey is a big sport in Minnesota. So (laughs) that's what I grew up. Minnesota in the United States is kind of, we're called the state of hockey. We don't quite compete with Canada probably in terms of the country of hockey, but. Yeah, that's really, I would say a lot of the things I've learned, even through my career, I still relate back to the high performing teams I was on growing up and, and watching teams that now have, you know, half the team has played in the NHL might not have won a championship at a youth level because there was too many egos or not the right coach or whatever. And then you have these average teams where, you know, all of us are in the business world now that did great, great things that no one thought we could accomplish. And again, looking at the patterns, I look back to to why those teams melded together in a way that they did to achieve success. And so that's, you know, as I go through my leadership meetings and, and whatnot, even today, you know, I always find myself going back to, to sporting <laughs> analogies that I've found to be true.
1: Yeah, interesting. You, you talk about ice hockey I because I traveled a lot with my global roll around with Hewlett-Packard and went to the U.S. a lot every year. And in particular to the Bay Area in San Francisco, but also into Dallas where um, EDS used to have their headquarters and then they were bought out by Hewlett-Packard. And I got the chance to go by a very good friend of mine to take me to an ice hockey game. And <laughs> it was the Dallas…
0: All Stars, I think it's called. Dallas Stars, yep. Dallas Stars, stars. yep.
1: And then the other one was the Canadian, and I'm going to get it wrong, uh, Maple Leaf, is it? Yep, Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, cool. So I got to see that game live, but they also happened to have the Stanley Cup there. And so so I got a photo of the Stanley Cup. And then there was a guy there who was the commentator, who's the commentator on TV all the time for the ice hockey games. And so I actually found out later because I had a photo with him, got to meet with him. <laughs> I actually was his guest. I I went on his ticket, and oh. <laughs> uh, so it was pretty pretty cool. And so yeah, what a! I just loved the whole atmosphere, not not just the game, but the whole atmosphere and what it was like. And yeah, uh, first time I've ever been to it, and yeah, I really liked it. So I think it's quite cool. And I and I get what you're saying about that team building side of things and how it all works together. So it's pretty.
0: It's probably mostly a European Russian like US Canada is predominant, but I think it is like, there's a lot of things to learn, like tennis, you know, it's a single person sport, the mental, like on off, like I've read a ton of books of, you know, psychologists who have coached tennis players, and like the skills needed to be an independent contributor versus hockey is a game of flow and execution and positioning. And not only do you have the five guys on the ice, but you have another 15 guys on the bench and the strategy behind that. And so just all the different sports, even though growing up in hockey, you just, every different sport has like its own lessons and team sports versus individual sports. And, you know, I've just tried to, like I said, intertwine that as much as, as possible into my business life as well.
1: Yeah, very good. So you have a, sounds like a few businesses or a couple of companies there in particular, and you may have more. How did you get into leadership?
0: <sighs> Accident? <laughs> Yeah, I think just having opportunities at a young age, like when I came out of college, my now wife, her husband, her her husband, her father owned a company and their CFO had, had left like three or four months before. And so I basically, my first job out of college was like the controller of a $20 million company and I had no idea what I was doing. My credits and debits were like backwards, even though I had a degree in finance. And like you slowly, <laughs> slowly got to learn. And then, and then my next role, I, it just a couple of things happened where I ended up being on a team with the CEO and the CFO, helping them prepare for a sale to a publicly traded company and then the integration with the publicly traded company. And at that time, I was probably twenty four years old, and I had a team of five underneath me that led that that charge and then it just kind of kept going from there where uh I was actually able to buy with private equity another manufacturing company which I was the CEO of and we scaled that and sold it and that by at the end, I think we had thirty employees and then got into turnaround consulting, which was back to that kind of individual contributor but helping align the organization and then Now building Parka. So it was just like one of those things where (laughs) early in my career, you know, I've always been driven, motivated and, and wanting to like build things. And I think, you know, especially at a young age for people that haven't been in leadership roles before, like it's crazy how people observe and watch you. Like I remember when in the second company, when we got purchased by the global publicly traded company, the guy actually I still remember him because he made such an impression but his name was Roman and he was from Canada and he would fly in you know to work through the integration and stuff and he always made a point to stop by and be like man like for your age like you you have a bright future and like I can you know I can see it and the leaders of the company in Minnesota have such great things to say about you and I mean just though like We were going through so many changes. Like there was nights where I like slept over at the office or we would migrate a system and, and I would stay all night to make sure that when the employees got there in the morning that, (laughs) that they had a functioning ERP system. And, and so it's just kind of that. Even when I took that role at that company, a lot of the other accounts were like, "Oh, you don't want to take that role. Everyone's failed that's one in that role. Like no one makes it." And I'm like, "Who cares? Like if I do it and I fail, then I guess I apply for the next job, right?" Like <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of taking that risk. You know, I've always had the entrepreneurial mindset of do first, ask for forgiveness later, which, you know, sometimes Sometimes is great. Sometimes it gets you into trouble, but I think that's just kind of the, the will and the desire to lead people. Like even today, like I'm 34 now. Parka is the first job mostly because digital marketing is a new generation <laughs> of people. But this is the first time in my entire career that I've had people under me that are younger than me. Like my whole life, <laughs> my whole life, everyone I've managed has been older than me. And for some people I've had people ask in the past, like, is that weird for you? And I'm like, I've done it since I was 23. Like, I, I don't know. It's just become normal. (laughs) Like leaders lead. Like I don't know that you put an age stamp on it. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was really quite intrigued when you're saying that. I was thinking myself, Oh, I wonder what that was like for him to, and did he have people older than him working for him? Of course. And you've just answered that, which is, which is really interesting. And the, the thing here is, were you always like this? In other words, that kind of work ethic mindset of just getting things done, giving it a go? Because, you know, as you said, some people go, oh, wouldn't do that role. You fail, you know, everyone's failed. And it's just like, that doesn't mean I will fail. And it doesn't mean, And but also I think that's where we learn. So for you, have you always had that kind of mindset right from a young age? And how did you get that kind of mindset if you did?
0: Yeah. Uh, honest, I mean, I guess we go back to the first question of sports, right? Is the discipline and work ethic you learn to be an elite athlete, like doesn't come easy. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, with a lot of credit to my dad is like, when I was four or five, six years old, we lived in a town of 10,000 people down in the Southwest cornfields of, of Minnesota. And they had a ice hockey bubble. And because it was refrigerated, it was actually colder in there than it was outside. And some days I would skate by myself with no one else out there for an hour or two hours freezing just trying to be the best that I could be and and that led to i think i was probably 9 or 10 my dad saw a newspaper clipping to make team minnesota and at the time like i was competing with kids from all the fancy rich places in minnesota and the twin cities and i was this little like farm kid <laughs> that no one even knew where the town was and and i ended up making the team of which you know, probably half of that team today, like played in the NHL at some point. And it was, it was just one of those things where it was like, if you don't try, how do you know if you're going to make it? And when you do try and you do make it, (laughs) how cool are the opportunities? Like I was eight, nine years old and we were playing in tournaments in Vancouver, British Columbia and Detroit, Michigan. And we were, it was just like, it was kind of like the Mighty Ducks. If you've ever seen the Mighty Ducks, (laughs) I know it's probably an American movie, but you know, we were kind of that like that squad that got to experience crazy things at a young age. And and obviously that just kept compounding throughout my sports career. And so I guess it's, it's really just instilled in me (laughs) based on kind of how I was raised and, and the work Mm -hmm. ethic behind it.
1: Yeah, so listeners listening here to Jared and, and what he's sharing—that's just wonderful stuff. Because you can hear that, you know, even from the early days, he he had this work ethic whereby he got in there, even that, you know, on the cornfields in the refrigerated area, skating hours and hours, just practicing to be the best he can be. And that's for all of us. What can you do in your industry? What can you do in your skill set to practice and practice and be the best? And there's another piece that Jared shared a little bit earlier on, which I thought was wonderful, which is do it first and ask for forgiveness afterwards. Which I think. <laughs> is really important and it and it doesn't matter where you are entrepreneur any leader at any level and I know this is going to be easy for me to say and not always easy to do but do it first and then ask for forgiveness because there's too many leaders and Jared I'm going to get your thoughts on this I think there is too many leaders who sit back and wait for permission or play it safe what, what are your thoughts Jared on that
0: yeah I mean I even see it like we have some of the Best leaders I've ever been around in our organization right now, but you can, and I don't, I've never worked in a corporate environment, so I don't want to slander corporate (laughs) environments, but like it's so much more process oriented and it's kind of like wait your time, like don't disrupt the apple cart with this person because they know that person. And, and so even amongst our leadership team here, you know, there's a couple of great leaders that you know, our corporate leadership is always pushing them like think outside the box, like try more, take a risk, like hire five people instead of two people, like, let's let's get going. And, and I've just always been the opposite of (laughs) I go hire five people and then get yelled at by our parent company for (laughs) hiring too many people. And so I just, to me, it's a natural thing. Like I, it's just what I do. But I mean, I think that is kind of the entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like if you look at 80% of the entrepreneurs that are successful today, they probably failed. They maybe went bankrupt. They, (laughs) they, uh, you know, they have no business making it through the pandemic. They have no business making it through that lawsuit, but they're so determined to be great and do their own thing. And that those are just annoyances on the mission to the legacy that they want to leave. And, and I think that's, you know, my mentor, Tony, who runs our corporate company he always talks about legacy like leaving a legacy and i think a lot of times individuals have a short-term mindset of like what's my next raise or what's my next promotion and i always say like i'm not a w2 guy like i <laughs> i have a standard of living that i have met and i accept and now everything i do is about do i want to do it does it bring me passion does it get me excited to get out of bed and I know that I can always go back and get a job where I make enough to make my ends meet with the lifestyle I live, but to leave that legacy is something that you can't really get back, right? Like you get one one shot at it.
1: Yeah, 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 you do. You do and it's not a you're right. So right what you just said there. You only get one shot at it and leaving a legacy is really important. And I think that's what our role as leaders are, is to go and do the best we can now and leave a legacy for the future as well. And so there's a couple of things you just said there, leaving a legacy and the other one is thinking outside the box, which is fascinating stuff to share. Jared, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why?
0: Oh, gosh. I know this question comes up all the time. you think I would have my canned answer by now. I know there's definitely been more influential leaders throughout time, but growing up in the 90s, I don't know if you're familiar with the Chicago Bulls or not, but Phil Jackson was the coach and I think I've read every book he's ever written and has ever been written about him because he was one that took obviously Michael Jordan maybe the best basketball player of all time and built a dynasty but not only did he do that but then he went to the Los Angeles Lakers which is probably the most storied franchise in NBA history and took Kobe Bryant and did the same thing again and just understand like he he was so studied in like Eastern philosophy and Eastern medicines and all of that. And like even went and did like Buddhism training and all of this. And it wasn't just like, well, this is America. Like this is how we do it. Like he took approaches from all over the world. It was a hundred percent psychological, zero percent about basketball. (laughs) You know, he created his own offense based on efficiencies and by highlighting certain players' strengths. And so I think... Because we're on the, the sports train today, that was one of the first ones that came to mind in that just probably the one that I've studied the most throughout my time. But obviously, there's so many so many great leaders that I think could probably go on for, for days.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are many leaders that have been influential for us in our lives now. But sometimes there's one or two that really do stand out for us. And yeah, and yeah, if you're talking about the, the Chicago Bulls and, and just that whole scenario and what's going on there, brilliant. And you can see a lot of franchises like that in sports and other organizations that do so well because they do have a, a culture, sort of like that, certain mindsets, systems, processes and everything to bring that whole organization and individuals within that organization forward, which is which is wonderful to see. Jared, this show is called Leadership is Changing. And when I mentioned that title, what does it mean to you? Honestly, probably have kind of a unique perspective
0: on this being a millennial myself, but I look at it in the terms of when we were in plastic manufacturing, we worked with Dow Chemical and Lionel Bazel, which are two global pet, uh, petro <laughs> companies, and both of them had billions of dollars in their leadership in their sales divisions were all over sixty years old and they had no (laughs) they had no one to take over that whole relationship. And so I remember having conversations with them about like how they were gonna build a leadership development track or how I mean, you're talking, you know, they were selling billions of pounds of plastic to other publicly traded companies. You couldn't just have a 24 year old come in there and assume the account. Like this was a ton of business and a ton and that's happening at least throughout the United States. I guess I can't speak to the world, but you in America, you have this baby boomer generation that's exiting the workforce. The millennials aren't necessarily prepared for leadership roles. And so you have this huge gap where my parents generation, and again, in America, I can't speak for the world, but our generation or my parents' generation It was a lot about staying with one company for thirty years. It was a lot about unions and, you know, being a part of a union and da da da. Well, now I mean I work in staffing recruiting so I can see it firsthand, but you have millennials that have a whole different philosophy on work life balance, whole different level of loyalty to their employer. You know, they'll skip take three or four jobs in their first eight years (laughs) to get a different philosophy. Culture has become such an important part. Like it's not just the pay raise anymore. It's, is this a culture that I want to be a part of? And then obviously the pandemic has only heightened this, but the whole remote work and freelance and contract, like they say in America by 2025, 65% of the workforce will be contract. And I bet, you know, Dennis, when you started... (laughs) At HP or or the previous company that acquired that. Idiots. Idiots. Yes, yeah. That I mean, the idea of having sixty sixty five percent of your workforce being contingent labor and not permanent hire wasn't even wasn't even on a radar, <laughs> and no. so all these things are changing. And and you know, our parent company, like our owners, are fifty three and fifty eight or something like that. And it's been hard through the pandemic. Like they're used to butts in seats. They're used to meetings face to face. And I've always been for being in the office because I just like being around people. But like as a, as a millennial, I can, <laughs> I can be a little more flexible. And like, I just like being in the office, but I don't care if anyone else isn't in the office. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's been a, I've tried to try to be an influence on kind of like our whole corporate philosophy over the last nine to 12 months. So I know I talked about a lot of things there. I'll I'll shut up now.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. I think they're great because you're spot on what you're saying there. I mean, there is we've seen this here as well in this part of the world, too, whereby there are a lot of people who have businesses as well not just in the corporate world, but have their own businesses, whereby they are now at the 65 years of age and they're going, what do I do with this business? I don't have, none of my kids want to take over or I don't have any kids or they've gone off and done their own thing. And so I don't have anyone to pass this on to. What do I do with it? And so it's creating another whole industry whereby people are coming into these organizations, working for a year or two with them, knowing that they're going to buy the business going forward. And so we're seeing that. The other thing we are seeing too, as you said, there is a gap and I'm not a baby boomer but I'm at an age whereby I'm loving what I see around the the new way of working because I think it's if you whatever age group you are it's a lifestyle it's it's a way of working it's it's different and I love it I think it's great and I'm really excited about where it's going to go and I totally agree with what you say in relation to the number of people and I think we will be more contractors type scenario, people who will be there sort of there for a little piece for a project, an initiative, for a task, and then they're off. And then you bring other people as well, which is going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out. And as you said, COVID definitely has emphasized it or making it go a lot faster. It's going to be interesting to see where we're going.
0: Yeah, no, I think the contract side makes a lot of sense for both parties because it allows I feel like in the past you had people that were loyal to each other that tried to make things work, but the speed of which, like, especially technology, you know, IT consulting and staffing is enormous in America, but you're asking people to build like specific apps with specific coding, with specific knowledge and You just like, you can't just hire an IT person today (laughs) that knows the whole breadth of the different, you know, different types of, of scripts and coding and platforms and all of this. And so it allows people to be really good and make a really good living being excellent at a, at a craft. Mm -hmm. And it allows a company to use that service for what it's worth, but not feel obligated Mm -hmm. to, to tenure them for 15 years when that app is going to be irrelevant in five years and they're going to build the new app to, to yeah. the new modern specifications. So, yeah, it, I mean, logically it makes a lot of sense. It's just changing the psychology of of our minds, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I, what I'm finding is that, um, you know, some people are locked in. They feel like they're, they're stuck. They're locked into a job. And so that's going to be interesting. So based on what we've just been sharing here, Jared, and around, around sort of like that workforce changing, And if we couple that with our fast-paced, ever-changing world, so they've got got, all this stuff happening, it's going fast and fast because of technology and so forth. And I think a lot of people around technology, business, and social side of things are finding it hard to keep up. What would make a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world?
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of things, like as I was looking through some of your other podcasts, like continuous improvement is a must, right? I think most business leaders get so wound up in the drama of the day that they forget that they have to take care of themselves first. And that's something I've really not been perfect at by any means, but <laughs> something that I've tried to be cognizant of, you know, throughout my career is what am I doing to to stay abreast and to stay relevant? I think that's one of it. And then, I mean, we already used the phrase, but like move first. Ask questions later. When you're moving this fast, I think it was Steve Jobs that was quoted of uh, just like break things, right? Like you got to break things. Like have <laughs> have things, gather enough knowledge that you're 70% of the way there, and then go, and then <laughs> then break it and figure it out, and get 80%. And then break it, yeah. and figure it out, get 90%. And like the people that are stuck with like the what do they call it, like the thinking paradox or whatever it's called, where like. They just get stuck in. Well, there's 86 different options. Which way do I go? Uh, I like 82 of them will probably work out one way or another. <laughs> just choose. So just choose, choose one, one of them, right?
1: Go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Go. Exactly. Yeah. Snap. We just that- said the same thing at the same time. <laughs> choose one. Choose one and go. That's it. That's it. Totally, Jared. I mean, that's the biggest thing that people can do. Procrastination is going to be the killer, and. I don't. You, you you would see this, and you would probably see this with your clients as well as you're working. It's never going to be perfect, never. And if you hang around and wait, someone else is going to go and do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, even down to like tactical, we were we're hiring an HR director, and you know, I kind of gave her the or we were in the interview process yesterday, and. I was kind of like, yeah, like you're probably not going to like working with me. Like I don't really follow rules very well. And, <laughs> and she's like, no, no, no. Like I've worked at big companies that are 500 million billion. Like we're still trying to put in, you know, leadership paths and career trajectories and like, and that's just the way it is. And I think, I mean, I know that now, but I think early in my career, it was like, Jared has to be perfect. Jared has to like never fail. Jared has to have like the, the business that churns fifty percent profit after its second year. Like that stuff doesn't happen in the real (laughs) the real world. (laughs) The real world's uh control chaos, right? Like it never goes as planned and you're always (laughs) you're always reading, reacting and adjusting. And yeah, there's just not the Ford Motor Company in in the United States is huge, right? Like in it they were kind of the invention of that assembly assembly line approach, which works for mass production of automobiles, but it doesn't necessarily work for business strategy and leadership and (laughs) and really building the business so
1: no no you're right and I I think you because with those leadership pathways you got to look at different organizations their cultures there's things that are different you have to customize and help things and I love what you just said there and I don't know if you know realize what you just said (laughs) the real world is controlled chaos oh yeah Yeah, that's, that's cool very cool Hey, we've been talking about leaders. We've been talking about entrepreneurs and and business and so forth. And you and I have been and we we have employees today. So let's take it from their perspective. Let's put ourselves into their shoes right now, looking through their lenses. What are employees' expectations? Have they, let me rephrase this, has employees' expectations of leaders changed?
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, being in digital marketing, it's generally a lot younger population. So it's even it's even a lot different for me over the last four years working in this versus manufacturing and the trades, which are generally an older population. And, and so I've never been a subject matter expert at any job I've been a leader in. So I can never lead from a technical perspective. <laughs> and so it's always about building the culture and surrounding yourselves with people that make a great team. And so that's, I keep using the stat and it's going to come back to bite me, but the average digital agency in in the North America in the last 12 months has had 40% turnover due to what we're calling like the great resignation, people coming out of of COVID retooling and, and whatnot. And Parka to date hasn't lost one employee this year, and I think that's that's a testament to how we're leading and It's not a test like I know every single one of our employees is getting inundated with other offers for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars more, and they're choosing not to take it because of our high growth and they feel like they're part of building something the culture and the team that we have and one of my directors that uh, Kim and I have played tennis twice a week every day for three years the our my other director babysits my dogs when my wife and I go out of town. And it, it's like they're literally friends, right? Like they're <laughs> and and that doesn't mean we haven't had to make hard decisions with other people in the organization that were my friends too. But I think I think to me the risk reward proposition of letting them into my life, letting them be a part of who I am outside the office, the results we're getting, you know, offset you know the pain, I guess, of you know having to make hard decisions once in a while with someone that you truly care about. Because otherwise, we'd all just show up at the office like robots, do our job, and go home. And uh, personally, I don't want to come <laughs> come to the office and do that. So I wouldn't want them either. So I know yeah. I spoke about it more from my side, but you know, to, to your point, like I think money is always going to be a motivating factor. But statistically, they say at a certain point, there's a diminishing return
1: Mm. on
0: happiness. And I think that's what like the millennials and Gen Xers and stuff, like they've kind of figured out how to balance that. And if you're not, if you're not accommodating to that, like they have no loyalty, it's, (laughs) it's see you tomorrow. And so, so that's what I, you know, we've, Tried to focus on, I've tried to focus on is creating that environment where they even, cause you still have bad days, like you still lose clients, like you still have people quit. Like it doesn't mean that our office is just like one big jolly happy family every day. Like we go through hard things, but when you go through it together, I think, you know, you spend more time at the office with your coworkers than you do with your spouse over the course of your working years. And
1: you do. You,
0: you can't if you can't enjoy being together, then I think this generation just says, thanks, but no thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah. They tend to vote with their feet. They're off. And it happens uh, for sure. Jared, I'm going to, so of the the question i got here for you is now, if I get you to bring your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years?
0: I mean, I think leadership just keeps being more important. I think It's going to be changing with all the remote and contract. And like, I mean, even yesterday, we offered a guy from Utah, which is 1500 miles away from us, which for a small company, that's a big thing. (laughs) And so how do you create an environment where that person feels included and gets part of that human touch that we've created in our office here is a whole like I've never done that before. I don't know, <laughs> you know. When you're a global company, I think you know there's probably different different ways of going about it that have already been tested, tried and true. But for for me personally, like there's always going to be new obstacles, especially like you've talked about today. It's going faster and faster and crazier and crazier, and I think that just puts more and more pressure on leaders to find solutions and to surround themselves with other leaders and. You know, our whole agency the last year, our focus has been on, uh, kind of changing from having all of our workers in house and having junior up to senior to really, we're just trying to build. If you can't add strategic value to our clients or our employees in house, we'll just subcontract it. So our payroll, (laughs) our payrolls and the average, average Pay of a person has probably almost doubled in the last year, but we're just as profitable because we outsource labor. We bring in people that are strategic leaders and client strategists. (laughs) And if you can't provide that, then, you know, in certain industries, they're just automating it, right? Like if you were a line worker, you don't like automate it. And I think that's going to, you know, drive leaders to rise even higher. And, you know, those that can't rise up are going to have to find probably other other avenues to, to make their careers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jared, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn for sure. Jared Hummel. Our business as a whole focuses a lot on staffing and recruiting. So I do a lot of speaking in that vertical specifically, but parka marketing.com you know i do some blogging and, and whatnot on there but yeah otherwise i don't have my own podcast but i'm on the podcast circuit so you might run across me on another podcast uh
1: somewhere awesome hey jared once again thank you for joining us on today's show it's been a real pleasure working with you and talking to you
0: yeah thank you dennis i really appreciate it
1: cool hey listeners what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or a question for the Ask Dennis freestyle episode, send me an email, Dennis, at leadingchangepartners.com. Listeners, don't forget, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, we would love to see you there on those different platforms. Listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week,
0: we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.